0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Scott Thompson, Willerskin, back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson home show between the pipes as we've been doing for 51 weeks. Ah! Hard to believe next week, 52 weeks, it'll be one year uh, that I've been stuck in this closet. Uh, You know, but I feel good. I feel blessed. I'm upright. I'm retaining fluids, and I have shorter hair than uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory. I'm just watching his news conference right now and, you know, the lockdown, the lack of haircuts, that sort of thing. But honestly, he's starting to look like my mother in the home. And I, I think he looks worse than my mother in the home because my mother in the home informed me that uh, the, the hairdresser was coming in, uh, at least to do a, something. So, you know, it, it's and, and and it just keeps getting bigger. It, it just, it just keep, it sort of looks like a q-tip and it just, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a reality of, of what a, a COVID-19 pandemic can do to us all. All right, let's move on. Uh, you know, it's uh, lots of issues centered around COVID-19, but there's lots of other stuff that is going on. And, uh, and, and some problems just still continue. And I think we've been talking about this for decades. Uh, but Ontario has uh, finally introduced new regulations for tow truck drivers. I'm not sure this is going to help, uh, which could help protect consumers and the towing companies Uh, and and again we all know what a a vulture like sort of situation it is if you've uh, ever needed a tow on the side of a major highway or or the 400 series of highways uh, you kind of get swooped down on Uh, let's bring in jacob lawrence business reporter for the toronto star Uh, he's got a column on all of this today jacob thanks for the time i hope you're doing well Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. So why are we doing this now? Because it seems that, you know, I'm a guy in my 50s. I remember this going on 20, 30 years ago, it seems.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, from what I can tell, it, a lot of this stems from a major investigation that uh, was uh, partially finalized last summer uh, when uh, it was called Project Platinum, and it's when the, um, the OPP came out with their um, their investigation into uh, an ongoing um, the ongoing tow truck turf wars, um, they found that uh, a bunch of sort of illegal and illicit activity had been happening. Uh, this led to the creation of a task force, a provincial task force, to figure out how to overhaul the industry. Um, and since then, they've come up with recommendations on how to uh, sort of rein in the bad actors and um, sort of create greater provincial oversight.
0: Was this addressed in the past, or was it just lip service in the past? Because I thought this had been addressed a while ago, but it obviously didn't seem to have much teeth or it didn't work. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think governments are constantly trying to address this problem, and um, I think every time it sort of remains to be seen how effective their actions are. It's obviously a very big and complicated industry, and so um, I think it's possible that governments in the past have genuinely tried to sort of reform Uh, the industry, but it's hard to, I think, keep track of. And I think um, even with these proposals that have been released in the past few days, it really remains to be seen on how effective they'll be in the
0: future. Is this an ongoing problem in other jurisdictions, uh, jurisdictions, or is this just the Toronto area, the greater Toronto-Hamilton area?
1: No, I mean, it covers lots of uh, southern Ontario. I mean, I think it's largely concentrated in the Toronto and Hamilton area, but it extends down to the Niagara region and, it, you know, it goes up into Vaughan. Um, these companies are all over. Uh, anywhere that there's, you know, an active and busy provincial highway uh, is an opportunity for uh, tow truck drivers to make a lot of money if they really want to. Um, so while we see lots of it concentrated uh, closer in the, in the Toronto Hamilton area, it's, it's, it's fairly more widespread than I think we might we might assume.
0: Why is this a problem? what what's the problem here? Uh, and, and get into if you'd like uh, obviously, it's not just the toe, it's where it gets taken and all of that.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. So the problem right now is that uh, I mean uh, specifically for consumers, the problem is that you know if you, are in a car crash on the highway, if your car is damaged, then there are lots of very predatory companies that are going to swoop in, you know, pick up your pulverized car, and they're going to charge you exorbitant fees to get it back. Uh, in the process of this create comes the, the so-called tow truck turf war, where uh, these tow truck companies are constantly competing with each other, often violently, uh, for certain space and territory around the Toronto-Hamilton area, where they can be the sole uh the sole operators to, to, uh, to go pick up people's cars. So it creates this very violent and confrontational setting. Um, that's bad for uh, consumers because they're then charged massive fees and it's bad for, uh, you know, the good actors in the towing operation who, you know, don't want to go to a certain highway or a certain area because they fear being shot. Um, so it's, it's bad for everybody. Um, it's a lot of very sort of uncontrolled criminal activity, um, and this is why the government has created these proposals. So um, one of the main ones that they proposed the other day was to uh, create this sort of pilot project for the next two years at minimum, where they're dividing the, um, the, the provincially run highways into four sections where in each section, a single tow truck operator will be able to go and collect, collect uh, cars that are damaged. And the idea here is that this will uh, kill competition amongst uh, the tow truck operators and it will try to sort of quell this uh, this turf war that's been building up
0: will that keep uh, the good actors out is that fair
1: yeah no that's a great question and i think this is where uh, the good actors are hoping that they can depend on the province to uh, choose them as the people who should operate there One of the, the, the province has created some leeway for themselves. They're saying that, you know, in the event of larger accidents on these highways or in other cities, it's left to the province's discretion to allow more, uh, tow truck operators in a jurisdiction if they think it's necessary. But the idea is that now they, uh, they get to sort of clamp down where they want to. And for the most part, it'll be a single operator. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I think the good actors are watching with some, uh, skepticism, uh, to see how this will affect them. But at the same time, from what I've heard from many of them, they'd prefer that they have this rather than a potentially violent confrontation uh, in a uh, world that isn't quite as regulated.
0: It'll be fascinating to see how they do this to avoid creating some sort of, mo- of a monopoly, which it seems unavoidable here.
1: Well, yeah, and its uh, I guess this is sort of ironic for the Ford government, right? Uh, just ideologically speaking, this is a, yeah. this is a, this is a government that's uh, that's used to deregulating and likes uh, free market competition. Uh, and it, but this is one of these very strange sort of backward situations where we're seeing all this criminal activity, and the government is saying to themselves, well, maybe in this case we need to actually move to a more monopolized system in order to prevent this incredibly nasty competition
0: where are the police on all of this or is it you know they're they're just investigating the accident making sure everybody's safe and they just want to get everything cleared as soon as possible
1: yeah well i mean that's a that's a good question too i think that um some of them are like do want to just you know get things cleared as much as possible um one of the things that a lot of the uh tow truck operators have called for is greater enforcement they want to see more police they don't think that uh these issues are being well uh enforced as of now um And another problem that we've seen over past months is that sometimes there are uh, provincial police in particular who uh, might have relationships with some of these tow trucking operators Mm -hmm. and they might not be cracking down in the ways that they should. Um, We've seen through these investigations that on occasion it comes out that there are police officers who are receiving kickbacks um, from towing operators and don't want to uh, make arrests or crack down uh, to the extent that they should be.
0: So we've got designated zones on the way and I understand there's some training involved in this too.
1: Some training involved in this uh, do you mean for the for the operators for
0: the operators yes.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, so they they're, the province is talking about uh, training they're talking about uh, potential licensing. I think overall they want to boost the Standard of what's required to become a tow trucking, a a tow trucker. Right now, uh, the limits are somewhat vague. Um, the requirements are somewhat vague, I should say. Um, to become a tow trucking, to become a tow truck operator, it doesn't require much. You mainly just need a, a driver's license. Uh, and I think now they want to implement sort of further standards across the board, um, that will, uh, improve training and increase, uh, tow truckers' abilities to, uh, to actually do their job properly.
0: Ontario has finally introduced new regulations for tow truck drivers, which could help protect consumers and towing companies. Jacob Lawrence has been with us, business reporter. You can read all of this in the Toronto Star. Jacob, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We've certainly talked about the the toll that this uh, global pandemic has taken on all of us. Every single person has somehow felt this. Uh, right the way across the country, right the way around the world. And, you know, we, we, we have many people that are, are constantly questioning what we're doing and, and, and the decisions that health officials and, and government is making. And obviously not all of it right, a lot of it learning as we go. Uh, but then there's those that just don't buy into any of this. And, then there's the stark reality of what goes on in our healthcare system. And, um, you know, I remember my son broke his leg during the first wave of this pandemic and we had to go to an emergency department during the pandemic. And that was a blast of reality of what it is really like inside a health uh, institution during a global pandemic. And you have to wonder about the, the, the health and mental health of those that are working behind those doors and that are working within those walls day in day out we know how taxing it is on us imagine what it's like on those in the front line and you know especially in the healthcare system uh peel psychologists uh, uh our peace uh, appeal psychologist on the has been talking about the possible long-term effects of covid 19 and the pandemic is having on frontline health workers, those that are tending to those who become ill from this disease. Let's bring in Dr. Alan Chan, co-founder of BNC Health and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me. Who looks after the doctors and the nurses and all the healthcare staff when they're feeling bad, when they're under the weather? How do they cope with this?
2: That, that That's the million-dollar question. I think the uh, this is probably the first, not that we've had many, but first pandemic where mental health concerns are being seriously thought of and discussed, not just for healthcare workers, but just for the population at large. Um, interesting, as you said, you know we're all dealing with stress, obviously, associated with the pandemic. Healthcare workers are in a bit of a unique situation where the vast majority of us are trying to make sure we stay away from people who are potentially infected, keep them out of our workplaces. Healthcare workers, of course, their mission is to treat people who are sick, so they're inviting uh, the sickest and mo- most uh, most distraught persons into their workplaces, into their, their personal spaces. So it's a different level of stress, certainly, that they're experiencing than the, the rest of the population.
0: What are your concerns about the, the long-term effects? Because as you said, I mean, it's, it's, they run towards the fire. So how does this take a toll over time? We're all knowing how we're feeling a year into this. How does it affect them long-term?
2: Yeah, and we don't really know because we haven't had a lot of good uh, research on that. I mean, I think the most uh, recent uh, experience, at least in the Canadian system, was SARS back in 2003, and and keep in mind that that pandemic only lasted six months, and we're coming up on a year with no clear end in sight here, but um, they actually recently released a study on, on some of the healthcare workers that got infected during the SARS outbreaks, and seven years later... Still, significant symptoms of depression, anxiety, and, and and trauma, which was affecting their daily lives. So you can just imagine um, the uh, long-term mental health effects that this pandemic is going to have, uh, long-term, um, given its prevalence and, and duration.
0: Uh, are you expecting a, a, a high turnover in healthcare post uh, COVID COVID nineteen pandemic?
2: It, it's, I think what we need to understand is that all healthcare workers aren't created equal, right? So as as you kind of alluded to earlier, when people think of healthcare workers, they they may naturally consider physicians and nurses, exactly. Uh, But there's certainly other people that fall under that category of healthcare worker. I'm thinking nurses, uh, nursing aides, personal support workers. And and I find that they're a different population. Um, They often are in more precarious working circumstances. They're often female. And there are a lot of vulnerabilities often associated with that group uh, that are often associated with poor outcomes in terms of mental health.
0: Um do you think that, uh, as this drags on and, and now we're starting to see fatigue really kick in, uh, people are starting to, to react and resist some of the protocol. Some are even questioning, uh, whether this is all valid and such. That must make it even more difficult when there's those out there questioning all of this and those on the front line are, are taking the fire here.
2: Absolutely. right. It's frustrating because, again, their, their experience that you're having in medical sit- settings is quite dramatically different than the vast majority of us are having in the community. They're seeing the worst of the worst. They're the, being the witnesses of the death and the trauma and the anguish that families are feeling. And not all of us have had that experience. And so it is quite frustrating for them to hear the messaging that this, is, this isn't real, this isn't dangerous, it's just the flu.
0: Are we getting that message out? Because to me, there was sort of a turning point in the communication of all of this. Because, uh, you know, about halfway through it, it, all of this, between waves perhaps, you know, we heard those saying, well, you know, I'm not going to get sick. I don't know anybody that's got it. So, you know, and, and those that do, the majority of those that get it, recover. And and they went without attitude, forgetting that that's not the issue. The issue is when this gets bad, there is a segment of the population that get hit really hard. They end up in hospitals. They end up clogging up ICUs. They end up suspending uh, other procedures and surgeries uh, that the hospital would normally do, affecting all of us. Uh, are we getting that message now? Are, are we getting the message from those healthcare workers? To some extent,
2: I think there's so many messages being thrown around uh, out there. It's yeah. difficult and a lot of mixed messages. So it's difficult for the individual person to kind of sort through and wade through all of that um, and kind of understand what's really happening. And it's it's difficult to understand that you know you seeing a friend may have a long term effect down the road where a senior may end up dying
0: advice for those in the industry that are that are feeling this more than the rest of us
2: yeah I think routine is going to be the thing that's most important keeping something consistent again that's been quite difficult with uh, differences in lockdown child care has been disrupted the school the school system has been disrupted that's obviously created a lot of impacts on the ability to manage people's household but as much as possible consistent routine for everybody getting exercise good sleep good nutrition not spending too much time on your screen despite the physical distancing requirements trying to stay in touch getting that social support from family and friends is is really important
0: has this drawn more attention to the healthcare system warts and all
2: i think it's highlighted not just in the healthcare system but across society that there are a large sector of the population that's vulnerable, there's a lot of social disparities, and that vulnerable section is being nailed and disproportionately than others, and we really need to be spending more time and resources to, to prop that minority, a significant minority, up to make sure their long-term outcomes are better.
0: Dr. Alan Chan has been with his co-founder at BNC Health. Lots of concern with our frontline health care workers and the stress and anxiety they are feeling while trying to take care of us uh, during this crisis. Doctor, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well, and thanks for all that you and those like you are doing to help keep us safe. Appreciate it. Be safe. You're listening to the Scott Thompson show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. I thought this was a uh, great idea. And I I think it was actually my mother-in-law that told me about this first because she had received one. Uh, But Canada post is sending every household a free prepaid uh, prepaid postcard. Now, what the heck is that all about? Let's bring in Valerie Chartrand Canada post. She is with us now. Valerie, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
2: Yes.
3: How, how, how are you? (laughs)
0: I'm doing well. So tell us about what Canada Post is doing with this idea.
3: Yeah, so this week, approximately 13.5 million postcards are starting to arrive in homes. You were mentioning your mother-in-law received hers already. This is great. So it's really to be used for uh, to, to stay connected uh, during these difficult times. And this is a way for Canada Post to show us, to help us during these difficult times. So um, in the past year, we've all been staying home, uh, trying to stop the spread of COVID-19, and we weren't able to see our loved ones, the family and friends as much. And so we're trying to find ways to connect, and and this is a great one, you know. um, It's perhaps more meaningful than sending a text or or an email like we've been doing uh, in the past year. So these postcards can be used uh, to reach out to someone you're missing, anyone uh, in the country, anywhere, uh, so, so this is all about spreading joy and bringing, bringing a smile on someone's face.
0: I think this is a great idea. Kudos to Canada Post for, uh, for coming up with something like this that uh, is, is a progressive way to, to capture the moment during the, uh, the middle of a global pandemic by, by going back to something uh, that, that was trusted and true for so many years. Tell people what they get, what they receive. What's this going to look like when this arrives? Tell us how it works.
3: Yeah. So these postcards, uh, they, there's six different ones. They're all in really bright colors, blue, red and green. And they all have a little sweet message on them, like I miss you, sending hugs. And when you open it, you have a little uh, message of what to do with your postcard. You have a place Obviously, to put the address of the person uh, you want to send it to. And you have a space to put a sweet message of love, appreciation. And if you have kids, you can also include them in this activity and have them draw something on, uh, on there for, let's say, grandpa. And then you just have to drop it anywhere to any post office, street letter box, uh, or community mailbox, whichever is closest to you. And like I said, it's already uh, postage paid so you don't have to pay anything extra and it can go anywhere in the country.
0: So this is basically a blank postcard and you're supposed to fill it out and send it to someone you care about.
3: Exactly and when you're sending it or receiving it you can take a picture uh, of you doing uh, sending it or what you receive and you can go on social media and use a hashtag right here right now and that's right like the the verb. W-R-I-T-E and you can use a hashtag and just be part of this movement, this initiative and just uh, have something positive happen right now.
0: And that's very cool because you've taken the old-fashioned letter and you've uh, obviously uh, incorporated social media into this that that takes it to a different level. Also a great idea.
3: Yeah. Letter writing, you know, it's kind of a lost art right now, but we've seen more and more uh, people turning to it uh, this past year to try to Connect and and find another way to to reach out that's more meaningful. So yeah, that's kind of combining the two together, and it's also an extension of um, one of our programs called Right Here, Right Now that we launched in in uh, September 2020, and it was to encourage Canadians to return to to pick up a pen and a, and a paper and try to return to letter writing, which kind of um, it, it's something different and it's more s- sentimental uh, and receiving something in the mail is also, uh, it doesn't happen often and it brings such excitement and joy. So it's all about returning to, to that during these difficult times.
0: Uh, Boy, this certainly does fit during a global pandemic, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it seems that as we've been locked down and what have you for the last year, that um, our world has become smaller in some senses, and we've certainly, uh, you know, started to prioritize what's, what's really important. Um, is letter re- letter writing, you talked about the isolation in a pandemic and such. Is this making a comeback during a pandemic? Because it just, um, you know, it's something different than a Zoom call.
3: Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, like I was mentioning, we've seen more and more people mentioning it. Uh, we've heard more people turning to it. And our, in our operations during Christmas time, uh, we've seen more of those green and and red cards, greeting cards going through operations. And Hmm. we just love seeing that our delivery agents love to deliver those. They know it's a special message that's inside. And they love to be part of these kind of positive uh, initiatives. And our delivery agents during during the past year, they've also received written notes of uh, people telling them, you know, you're doing a great job, uh, keep, uh, keep the good work going. And so they've seen it firsthand, people turning to written notes to try to express how their, their appreciation.
0: How long is this campaign going to last?
3: So all the postcards are, well, they're starting to arrive this week in homes and there's not a deadline to send your postcard. It can be sent at any time you want. So, uh, I guess as long as people are sending them, we're we're going to see them on social media.
0: So, did you send one of these out to like every household?
3: It's to every residential address. So, yes, thirteen point five million postcards.
0: Wow! This says, uh, "Is this is going to cost Canada Post?" Is it not? It's sorry. Uh, how much is this going to cost, Canada Post? Obviously, you're prepaying for all of these.
3: Well. So- What's great is that we already have the infrastructure in place to mm. to support this kind of initiative. You know, it's, We have those delivery agents that are going out every day to those addresses and delivering. So the postcard is going to be part of the bundle of mails you're delivering that day. So we have this big network already in place that we can leverage to just do something positive.
0: It's a great idea, and obviously, you must be seeing uh, the results of online uh, shopping and such pickup during the pandemic. It seems uh, sometimes in neighborhoods, the only traffic you see are Canada Post trucks mm-hmm. or delivery trucks or whatever. You, you must have seen a an increase in business over the over this pandemic, have you?
3: Of course. Uh, people have been staying home and shopping online, and we've seen a youth surge in, in online so- shopping and, and parcels. Uh, so our delivery agents have been working hard um, all year round to, to deliver those special items and to every Canadian home.
0: All right, Valerie Chartrand has been with us from Canada Post. Uh, great initiative from Canada Post, sending postcards out to uh, every household. It's blank. The postage, uh, the postage is prepaid. And you write a nice little message and you send it up to somebody who probably needs a little smile in their uh, lives. A great idea. Valerie, uh, congratulations. Kudos to Canada Post for this. Uh, Good luck with it.
3: Thank you so much, and keep an eye out for your postcard.
0: The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900-CHML.